to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's American Bar Association's Cyber and Privacy Podcast. This is your host, Jordan Fisher from Beckage, and I'm super excited to have with me my guest today, Diane Janicek. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. So, Diane, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I know you wear many hats, and so it'd be really great for them to get to know who you are. Great. Thank you, Jordan. So um, I'm Diane Janicek. I started the Women in Cybersecurity Critical Infrastructure Community. So I do a lot of that uh, in my spare time. And uh, critical infrastructure is a space where cyber uh, comes together with technology. So I work in that space. And I'm also the training director for the National Security Agency that we focus on cyber and cryptology and compliance and privacy. And so I have a Fun day job. Uh, so this this podcast, I'm sharing with you my personal views or personal thoughts. But I have a really exciting role because I get to play at the national level. I get to participate in National Security Council activities as well as Pentagon activities. So it's a pretty exciting time for me. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And we actually, I think, connected through, through the women in cybersecurity. And I always love and appreciate all that you do in that space because I think it's so important to promote women in this space and to really demonstrate sort of the various career paths. So that's so fantastic. Um, so I wanted to sort of hear a little bit about your privacy and security journey. I mean, like you said, you really get to have visibility on a national stage. And I think that's so fantastic. So sort of understanding what brought you into this space? How did you get into privacy and security? Well, thanks for that. I had an atypical journey, which I think most people have, you know, because of, you know, when I when I graduated from college, the uh, you know the computers were really just getting started. So, my t- my journey was I did go to law school after college. I ended up working for the Department of Justice and then for the White House and the Pentagon. So I had some phenomenal, you know, opportunities engaging with some wonderful legal minds working under Chuck Ruff at the White House Counsel's Office. I started then at the National Security Agency, and then I also took a I took a position as the chief legal officer, the first chief legal officer of the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. And my day, uh, my tour started two days before the Snowden uh, leaks. So I had quite an exciting time working with the Hill and all over Washington, D.C. with the overseers, especially with the media and with the American people and trying to get, we, we did publish two public reports for the American people in the interest of transparency. So that was exciting. So from that, I came back and I became, I uh, went into our technology directorate and I served as our deputy CISO. So at that point I had my law degree, I had a master's degree, and then I sought my CISSP to understand, make sure that I understood how the technology and the policy kind of came together. Oh, I forgot to mention before heading downtown again, I was NSA's uh, chief privacy officer for a number of years as well. So I was kind of pretty well versed in this space, which made me, um, you know, just well positioned, I think, for the role that I had at the National Security Agency in heading up our network security policy office, as well as our um, incident response team. And so it was an exciting time for me in learning and just being able to give back. So I kind of 
went into it through the law and policy, then got into the technology side and have really now focused more on the technology aspect of it. So it's been pretty exciting. And then now they've asked me to head up our National Cryptologic School, uh, where I we have we teach military and civilians globally, um, multi, probably multiple continents um, on cryptology, cyber, language, leadership, and business. So then I kind of tie that into on my weekends. I spend a lot of time um, you know, giving back. I also serve uh, on XRSI, which is a, a, a nonprofit organization that's designed for uh, developing voluntary compliance standards in the area of um, extreme uh, XR, which is a uh, virtual reality and extreme reality, I guess they're calling it. And I also serve as an advisor to the Military Professional Cyber Association. So I do a lot of different things, which makes it fun. Wearing many hats, which is how I always like to describe it. And you've had such a diverse and interesting career through cyber and privacy. And one of the things I just love about your path is the fact that you came into it from this legal perspective, but you really embraced a technical component to it. And I think that that is really sort of the future of where we see a lot of this merging of these fields is, is needing to be able to look at things from a variety of different perspectives and maybe not just from that one legal perspective or technical perspective is being able to merge those two minds. So I think you've done a fantastic job of sort of creating that opportunity for yourself. Um, and while there's so many things you mentioned that would be fascinating to delve into, I'm really excited to sort of talk about the fascinating and really no longer futuristic topic of space and cybersecurity, right? So space, the next frontier. Um, and I know that you've been delving a lot into your research onto that aspect of it. So I wonder for our audience, can you sort of just set the scene on where cyberspace and cybersecurity landscape currently stands? I, for one, you know, other than what I know about in reading articles or anything, you know, it's just a very mystical idea of space and cybersecurity. So if you could set that scene for the audience, it'd be great. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. So what people sometimes don't think about is that cyber attacks that happen terrestrial Lee can also similarly attack space assets. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, um, things that, you know, are 300 miles away from the ground can actually have cyber attacks. So there's, you know, all the different cyber techniques that are out there. A lot of them are being now applied to space assets. So the way this, you know, we started out with Sputnik in 1957, the first unmanned space um, orbit uh, by the Russians. Today, there's probably close to 3,000 space assets, not quite. There's some space junk, another you know, another few thousand, uh, thousands of those. There's a lot of space assets, both nation states and commercial assets. So there's a lot of interest in how do you secure space assets? So there's a big interest there. There's a, the space industry right now is about $350 billion a year is being spent right now on the investment into space. And you probably have seen a lot about that with uh, space tourism. You know, that's even getting hot, and, mm -hmm. so to speak. And it's going to be, the space field is going to be growing to be, they believe that the investment is going to be about $1 trillion in the year of 2040. So there's a lot of now uh, looking at exploring a space. There's the use of space for, even with the nanosatellites that are little tiny satellites that are the size of shoeboxes, um, and how those can be used, uh, you know, here by uh, here on Earth with the use of nanosatellites. So there's a lot of 
investment, a lot of innovation. And but at the same time, as we as we know, if you have a technology, you have to secure it. So there's there has to be secure space security, just like you have cyber security. So there is a dramatic intersection of space security and cyber security going on right now. And I've written a number of articles in this area. Well, and so I'm wondering if you can delve into around the challenges and the threats that, you know, they're, they're from the cyber perspective in the current space initiatives. You know, I think we can all understand technology has these inherent cyber threats, but I think there's uniqueness to space that isn't necessarily present on Earth, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, right. So I can give you an example that people may not be uh, tracking because it's, you know, like I said, it's outer space. You're not really thinking of it. So, you know, an example of what is a threat from space. So the Russians last year, I think it was July 15th of 2020, they had two satellites kind of tracking each other, kind of, you know, nesting and kind of going together in the same orbit. And they caught, the Russians said it was an inspection satellite trying to tracking another satellite. But as it turned out, that second satellite kind of went and went off to its own, you know, a little bit further away, so it had a distance. And then on July 15th, what happened is the one satellite, the one Cosmos satellite, attacked the other Cosmos satellite. So it was literally a projectile. So you're having in space a satellite using a projectile, what's a projectile, a weapon, mm -hmm. attacking another satellite and taking it out. Uh, so we knew that the Chinese could do that, which they did with their own, uh, they took out their own uh, weather satellite back in 2007 and it's caused a lot of space debris issues. But when the Russians did that, um, it was a different way of doing it than the way the Chinese did it. And so why do we care about that? We care about that because as Americans, if that was used against an American asset, and right now the Americans, we have the majority of space assets right now. Um, there's the, most, most of the space assets, the majority of them are, are American space assets. So why do we care about that? Well, how do you respond to aggression in space? Hmm. There's issues, right? How do you actually respond to aggressions in space when you have a the Outer Space Treaty is uh, well, 50 years old, it only accounts for peaceful purposes. Is not is Russians uh, attacking its own satellite? Is that non-peaceful, or is it? Could you say that's peaceful? I mean, how do you respond to that? So the U.S. Space Command got stood up, as we know, and now they're saying congressmen and senators and and the Defense Department is saying we can use terrestrial responses to space activity. So. Do we want that as a nation? I'm just, so that's a question for everybody. You know, as Americans, do you want something going on in space or aggression is in space and then we respond and we have a ground war? I'm not sure that's the best answer, uh, but that's what's happening in terms of the real possibilities. So space security is really a national security issue for all Americans. Yeah, I mean, that really, I didn't know about any of that. So that's really fascinating. Um, and I think because some of our, you know, on the earth technology is derived from access to satellites. So there, there is a very, you know, there's a connectivity there as well. Um, but then your response is sort of, well, where do we respond? Do we respond in space? Do we respond <laughs> on the ground? It's, it's really interesting. So I wonder in this sort of evolving space, are there governance mechanisms that we can leverage to sort of address these cyber concerns? Are there conversations going on where there could be, you know, 
productive ways to govern what is becoming no longer a new frontier, but a frontier we're all sort of going into. And I know the UN is often sort of one that's looked to. I don't know if they're the best position. I don't know who would be best positioned, frankly, to understand what's going on and how best to address it. But just from your thoughts, are there any governance mechanisms we can look to? So the UN is one avenue. It's just, it's not always good for a tactical response if something actually was to happen. So the UN has had some um, appendices, so to speak, to the Outer Space Treaty. For example, they had one of return of an astronaut. Let's say an astronaut landed, you know, in an enemy territory, they could return mm-hmm. them. Uh, how you get back space assets. Um, there's a lot, of, there's another example is there's a lot of uh, coordination, like on GPS. Obviously, there's a huge coordination on that because everything pertains to the timing associated with GPS on so many things. So the UN is good. Um, as obviously is, is valuable in certain aspects, but it's not necessarily always the best for day to day in terms of how should things really work. So the perfect example, though, I think is the um, the International Space Station. So because a lot of countries can't uh, don't have the money or the resources to use the International Space Station, the International Space Station is now taking on more and more customers, so to speak. So that's an interesting model because here countries that may not have really partnered with the with the Russians are now paying for the International Space Station to get access to some of their technologies that they want to test out and you know different capa- capabilities that they're looking into. So that's a voluntary arrangement uh, that's done for maybe a nation state interest or a research purpose or research and development purpose. So they're coming together in a way that's unusual in terms of you know unusual bedfellows. So that's actually not a bad thing because if you can get international cooperation, it's always better than enforcement, right? Cooperation is better than enforcement. So that's actually a good thing. And then I do think that a driving force will be the market. Like I said, if it's a $1 trillion industry, you're going to start looking at uh, who to partner with, who can you share with, who do you feel safe with? And there's probably going to be some coalitions in terms of forming up in times of safe, you know, sort of a safe group to kind of come together. So I think there's probably going to be more cooperations that's built on investment areas um, than probably the international legal arena. So that's good and bad for the military if we did have, you know, an attack on the, you know, U.S. military space asset. Um, that would be a completely different story. But I think in the general arena of commercial investments, we're probably going to be looking at unnatural collaboration, but yields pretty significant dividends for different countries because of those partnerships. So it's actually a really exciting space. Uh, space of, It's a really <laughs> exciting uh, area to track. So if you're not thinking of it, I would you know start tracking you know Air and Space Magazine and things like that because this really is the way to go. I mean, you wouldn't have uh, you know these companies in SpaceX in this area if they didn't think that there was a huge frontier out there. Now they're looking at not just getting a space a trip to the moon and back. Now they're looking at doing permanent lunar orbits and going in to be able to orbit the moon and you know Mm -hmm. so it's pretty fascinating no it's it's really i mean i think the economic component that you bring up is really potentially going to drive this because looking ahead for those next you know five years i don't know if we would see like you said maybe more diplomatic political legal solution evolve but it might be something that we're very responsive to in the law. Like the law is probably not going to lead in this space. It's going to be a more responsive reactive, which 
Yeah. I don't know. There's probably differing opinions on whether or not that's a positive or a negative. <laughs> yeah. So the only, that's right, there is differing opinions. So just to key off of that for one second, there are differing, opi differing opinions on the amount of regulation that needs to be done, right? So you would think that there's certain federal agencies that exist because there's U.S. interest in maintaining that people are safe on the ground. They don't have some satellite coming out and harming, harming Americans. Um, so there's, you know, you have to get permits and licenses for launch and then re-entry vehicles and all of that is is normal and you would expect that but how do you how does the u.s want to regulate the space industry when you're looking at a size of the space investment that i mentioned to you you want u.s companies to stay um you know profitable and be innovative and be leaders in this area. So you don't want the regulatory environment to be so overwhelming. So there is a difference of opinion on terms of how much should be managed under the ITAR, the US munitions list versus the commercial commodities list, the CCL. Um, and then where should that regulation stop and begin? So there's, you probably have listeners on the phone that are very well versed in this area. But the takeaway from the policy perspective is which regulatory environment should you, you know, you know, uh, invest in as an administration. So different administrations have a different opinion. So we'll have to wait and see how the Biden administration is coming out in terms of embracing of innovation in space and lessening of potential regulatory controls on those that investment in space assets. Um, you know, investment. They just. I don't know it's interesting. So I would just say stay tuned to this space uh, for sure because it's exciting and there's a lot going on, especially in the area of nano satellites and the Internet of Internet of Things and how that's being applied and where the State Department might be playing, where the Commerce Department will be playing, making a role. The FAA, uh, a lot of federal agencies are looking into this area, so we can encourage U.S. businesses to be marketable and profitable and and also, you know, assure national security at the same time. No, I think that's a great point. And I think it it's so, you know, comparable to cyber and privacy on the ground because it impacts all these different areas as well. You know, we have all these agencies that are looking at it from so many different perspectives. So really appreciate you coming on. This was a fantastic talk. It really, I think it only expands into more. We're going to have to have you come back on <laughs> to talk about what happens in the next 6, 12, 18 months. Um, so really appreciate you bringing that different perspective. Wanted to ask, I sort of like to ask all of my guests if there's any you know, recent book you've read on maybe this space or cyber privacy technology that you could recommend to the audience. Sure, so I've read it and I've reread it recently. Uh, the Cyber Effect by Dr. Mary Aiken has now been translated, I think, into at least 30 different languages. Uh, she is phenomenal uh, in terms of, if you ever, heard her speak she's a she's a really interesting lady but she talks about once you're on a keyboard how behaviors change naturally because you have some anonymity and what is that doing to society uh so it's pretty phenomenal if you ever have a chance to hear her speak uh dr mary aiken i believe she has her own website maryaiken.com uh, so she's pretty phenomenal that's great and that's a whole nother i mean anonymity and attribution and sort of the increasing ability to know who's on the internet. That's a whole other topic to delve into. So fantastic recommendation. Well, Diane, thank you so much for coming on. This was fascinating. I really enjoyed listening to you speak about this and then all the various many other topics I've had the pleasure of listening to you talk on. So thank you so much for joining us. Great, thanks again. Thanks for everything that everybody does listening in because uh, we're all a better country for it. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.